Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good evening. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today's podcast episode is one that is pretty special to my heart. We're going to be having a candid conversation about raising daughters in diet culture. Obviously, if you've been around our family for a while, you know that Joey and I have three daughters. We don't have any sons, so we won't be speaking to that specifically, but honestly, this conversation should apply to um, all kids. And um, we just want to sort of unpack some of the things that us as parents feel when we're raising kids in our present um, culture of food and health and wellness. And this is coming from a lens of you know, my unique perspective as someone who grew up um, battling a pretty severe eating disorder landed me in inpatient treatment facility for three months of my um, senior year in high school and, you know, years of therapy and dietetics and group therapy and family therapy, all the therapies. So um, I might draw from some of those experiences in this conversation. Um, I've certainly shared some on my Instagram, if that's something that you're interested in reading about. Uh, But I'm excited to dive in and talk about some of the ways that we sort of mitigate or hope to mitigate um, our girls' future battles with food. I think think, um, I'd love to start off by just defining the kind of the the issue at hand here or defining diet culture. Yeah. And the, the, sorry, the, the way that, that I wanted to start with that is, is kind of the transition of, especially with daughters that we feel with body image going from, you know, when I was growing up, right. And this is, these are your words, right. And and I'll let you kind of better define this, but it was kind of like the Barbie, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you, as a boy growing up, did you think about your body image at all? I think, well, see, I was, I, I grew up wrestling and I was always short as a, as a boy being short was always kind of yeah. looked down on, mm-hmm. not, no pun intended. <laughs> Literally looked down yeah. on. Yeah, that's true. I think height is something for men. I think men can also often feel a certain way if they're like not muscular enough or um, don't, don't have perceived strength. Uh, so it's different for women. So for me, you know, I was born in the 90s. It was like this hyper thin, um, almost like chestless woman with like blue eyeshadow was like the depiction that I can think of. All the magazines, the women were super thin. It was almost like uh, cool maybe to like maybe dabble in like having an eating disorder or like not eat, at least be restrictive in some way, at least in, in the celebrity realm or in Hollywood. I'm sure some of that is still in existence, but... I look around today and I see a different sort of idealized body image and it's has much more variety so even like going into Target or Old Navy the mannequins are are all different sizes which is not something that existed when I was young it was like the very thin no one had those proportions tiny waist I could wrap my fingers around And, you know, all of those signs and symbols play into like, okay, well, this is what health is, or this is what normal is, or this is what we should aspire to be. And now that it's sort of a mixed bag, there's um, obviously blessing there, right? So it kind of opens up, it expands that definition of what good or normal or um, healthy or um, functioning is. But 
there's still confusion there. I think still, you know, there's a desire to be thin. I think still, um, I think a little bit of an improvement is that women are more encouraged to be strong. I've seen that a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, I'm not coming from like a, I've studied all of culture, but just my own perception Body image seems to have taken on a larger conversation. We have a lot more body positivity. And in that conversation, that can get dicey too. But I think our girls face a different pop culture for sure than what I faced in the 90s and early 2000s. I think that while body image kind of like pressures have maybe adjusted or transitioned or changed over the years, which I would definitely agree with, some of them definitely remain. And there's no question that... that that there are girls that, that want to be skinny and that there are boys that want to be strong and fit and tall, right? Yeah. That's just, that's kind of just, I feel like always going to, going to, going to be kind of lingering around. Um, there's, it's even more complex now though. And this is kind of what we're going to get into today. And that's with, um, some of the, some of the other ways we are now, um, almost creating these personas yeah. for ourselves. And um, kind of want to get into, you know, kind of coining this. Maybe it's, maybe it already exists, but this idea of like diet personas. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily body image, but I'm kind of putting them, lumping them into the same category where mm-hmm. if you were really skinny or if you were really buff when I was growing up or when we were growing up, um, that was part of your persona. That was kind of kind of part of who you were Mm -hmm. and you could derive almost like some confidence or popularity um there was you know groups of people that would kind of like get together that were in the same and and now there's there's almost some of these diet personas yeah and um, listed a few out here but you know let's get into let's get into some of the some of the things that we're deeming as potential influencing kind of diet personas that are that are out there today yeah and these would be things that um sort of exist even beyond just this is what i eat and this is what i don't eat they have like almost like character qualities attached to them yeah and it's almost like we're stereotyping um but well, we absolutely are stereotyping for the purpose of saying hey some of these things might be more of an identity draw for you versus a health draw or versus like a biological need for you. So, and you I know. think the main point that we're making is that there are people that do diet that, that, that um, utilize diets or are with are, are restricting certain f- ingredients out of their diet for good reasons, potentially. Yeah. Um, however, we're really focusing in on kids and in our scenario, daughters and how they perceive these sorts of things playing out mm-hmm. and how they can pick them up as potential personas of themselves. Yeah. So as we start to get into some of these diet things, if you're out there and you know, you're know you a vegan or you're on keto or whatever, um, I'm not saying that those things are evil. I am saying that kids can pick up on this kind of stuff and they may be picking up on the wrong things. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, you know, the the vegan or the cruelty-free or even the vegetarian, you know, I mentioned on the previous podcast that for a time I was vegetarian. 
Um, now, I was vegetarian because I sort of wanted another excuse to limit the foods I would eat. Like, I, I wanted to say, oh, I showed up to that party and you guys were serving this. Sorry, you can't eat it. And it was a cop-out for me to be more restrictive, um, which I think can still be a tactic wield, wielded by by um, people today. Um young impressionable kids is what I'm referring to and so you know then you have like the keto the paleo the that that diet got really popular um I want to say like mid 2000s and then um you know you have I don't even know what you would categorize our diet as but I think it would be a potential persona yeah absolutely and and I'm not gonna be the I'm gonna be the first one to admit that the pursuit of nutritious real food that we, we even say that right is is a, is a, is a potential persona and and our children um can be impacted by that i think they are impacted by that i think they also see like an obvious one is like the freeze i'm gluten free i'm dairy free i'm soy free i'm corn free i'm all the freeze and you know i think anyone who has walked in that kind of thing which i've been gluten free and corn free and dairy free for a period of time too if you're not careful you can start to wear that as like a badge of honor yeah. like look at how many foods i can walk around and not eat <laughs> you know or look at how much i can restrict here or look at how much healing i'm pursuing because i'm definitely not eating that corn that you would eat oh my goodness i can't believe she would eat corn doesn't she know that's gonna wreck her digestion you know like if you're not careful your food choices can and will um start to sort of influence um it gets meshed with your values which Mm. that's tricky right because we want people to eat from a conviction in their values but when it starts to turn into an I thing, like a me-centered thing, or I'm better than you, instead of saying, I want to honor the food I'm eating, or I want to honor the food producer, like that mentality is on the other person. That's excellent. Always have integrity in that degree. But when you're like, I'm so great because I'm eating this way, or I would never eat that dairy because that's inflammatory, or, yeah. you know. So it's just, a, it's like with everything, it's a subtle twist. And it turns bad. Yeah, and and uh, gosh, it's so it's so hard for me to withhold because we're going to get into some of the approaches that we have been kind of taking to to these sorts of um, tensions that are that 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 are around our kids every single day mm-hmm. um, later on in the podcast. But uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive into them too soon because it's gonna be a 15 minute podcast. <laughs> hey, we're, we're gonna crank it out. It'll be quick. I promise. Um, I think. I think as, as I would define a, another potential tension that can arise, and, and this one, this one's me just, I'm, I'm, I'm being an open book here. I see it with our, with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe us sharing this will be, will be healthy for a lot of people that maybe are also on this path and on this journey that, that may also notice this mm-hmm. um, and boil it all the way down. It's, it's kind of pride mm-hmm. and, and every Every diet persona can feel a little bit of pride. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say that that we also can be a victim to pride. Mm-hmm. Victim, is that the right word? Victim probably. I think it's okay. Anyways, yeah. we also can fall prey. Um, prey to being prideful within our own diet persona. Yeah. 
feels weird to call it a diet. I would never tell people that I'm on this special diet. Um, but define it however you will. The pursuit that we're on can sometimes drive up the pride level a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think you called it <laughs> this elitist mentality. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share kind of what this looks like through my point of view, my lens as the, as the dad and, and his daughters. Um, we'd love to hear your kind of definition as well, but we are so intentional about food every single day. We are constantly, um, and we're you know educating and promoting healthy food. We talk we, about we it. talk we about things it. we won't buy. I walk through the Kroger aisles, and my kids will point at the unicorn, you know, cake mix, cake mix, and be like, "Oh my gosh, I want to make a unicorn cake." Not only do I have to explain to them that it's it's just a box with a unicorn on it and it's a yellow cake with chocolate frosting, <laughs> but that, hey, I, we can make a much better cake at home mm-hmm. with real ingredients. Mm-hmm. And But you know, there's no unicorn on a box that they get to look at. And so, um, but sometimes they can take that as we're too good for that. Mm-hmm. We're too good for that. And those little moments accumulate, right? They kind of snowball. And and then you'll see it, that snowball crash on somebody or yourself. You, you, you know, Ruthie will come home from being, you know, at someone's someone else's house, or uh, out to eat, or uh, or, God forbid, I have the girls out somewhere and we're having fun, and the options are much, you know, more limited. And you'll see some of this, you know, some of this pride kind of flare up. Oh my gosh, Dad. So and so only eats blank, blank, you know. And and I say, oh, well, is is you know what do you, what do you mean by that? And she says, well, they're totally unhealthy. Do you get that from Ruthie? Because I get that more from Sophia. I I definitely get it from Sophia the most, but yeah. I think what I get from I'm gonna push back on you just a tad because I think what I get from Ruthie, and I think this is also a natural trend with our kids or with any kids. Anytime you start the food conversation young, you're gonna hit these like roadblocks where you start to think, "Oh crap, am I doing the wrong thing?" With Ruthie, she's like age five, about to turn six. I see Ruthie doing this like haha mom i just came home from lunch out with grandpa and i got to eat chicken you know fingers. what you're right you're right it's totally that it's totally that it's like this rebellious stage yeah, right? yeah it's like this rebellious like i won like i'm eating something my mom wouldn't approve of or like i'm celebrating the fact that i got to have something that i don't get to have very often whereas with sophia and not to call her out i never thought about like our kids listening to this in the future but um she i categorize it as the elitist mindset because she can tend to, she's 11. She's a preteen. She is very much a a typical, almost teenage girl. And so she's constantly comparing, what is that person doing? What am I doing? Which one's good? Are Mm. they both good? Is mine better? Is theirs better? And I think that that's normal. That's a normal part of like growing up in American culture it's something that we can kind of curb and kind of prune out of them. But they're they're going to hit a time where they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so only eats mac and cheese. I can't believe so-and-so eats hot dogs. Or I can't believe, like, which we eat hot dogs and mac and cheese. Yeah. So it's confusing. But, like, there's definitely – you can see her value system shaping around – 
maybe people who eat a more standard American diet. Like we are surrounded by people that have a multitude of of lifestyles regarding to food, like multitude. We have gluten-free, we have dairy-free, we have paleo, we have standard American, we have vegan, we have like we, everyone, it's, it's very well represented. We have a collection of diets represented that our kids see. And so, yes, so having that conversation can be hard because you're like, oh, should I not? be talking about food this much if now my 11 year old's gonna interpret everything as like either better or worse than how she does it am I putting too much emphasis on what we're eating and to that I say no it's just a phase of their preteen immature they do that with everything they do that with the clothes they wear they do that with the shows they're allowed to listen to or watch or the music they're allowed to listen to they're always sort of like figuring out how they measure up in regard to their peer. So, I yeah. So as we talk about kind of what our, so our approach, right? Our, our persona, what we're doing. And we're talking about nutrient-dense versus nutrient-lacking foods. Um, I really want to just touch on because even this idea of well, we don't eat cheeseburgers because they're unhealthy. This idea of this food freedom mm-hmm. with standards, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, get into I, that a little I bit. could talk about this for hours. So that's honestly one of the reasons why I was like, why is there no better children's curriculum out there? Because when I went to look up little, you know, nutrition worksheets for Sophie as a second grader, it was literally like either here, dissect this food label. It was like a Coca-Cola or something. I was like, what? That's weird. Like basically read this food packaging or it would be so biased towards quote healthy, meaning like plants and so negative towards things that have you know, potential um, counterparts available in a drive-thru. So it'd be like, circle all the healthy foods. And it would be like salad, carrot, apple, um, (laughs) piece of bread. I don't know. And then it would be like, circle all the unhealthy foods. And it would be like pizza, cheeseburger, french fries. And I'm like, no, you can have a beautiful grass-fed beef burger on a sourdough bun. We just had this like three weekends ago and it was the bomb so if he was like that's the best burger i've ever had homemade bun grass-fed burger organic lettuce veg whatever and and so like breaking through some of this nonsense that we as american culture have deemed some foods good and some foods bad to me growing up and especially when i was a middle school student and high schooler when i was dealing with um an eating disorder, that rocked my world because that's where fear foods come from. There's there's this term in the eating disorder world where it's like you have the foods that you're scared to eat and so then it, it, they want you to sort of have like exposure therapy to that and so they want you to be able to get comfortable eating them. And so it was very much like when I was in treatment, it was very much like, hey, you need to practice eating the cookies. You need to practice going out to the Mexican restaurant and getting the chimichanga go eat that 
right now. (laughs) And so, you know, there were part of that was like, okay, yes, I can eat other foods that I might be worried about and still survive. That was a good lesson. But they never broke down like, hey, what's in this cookie or what's in this burrito or um, what what are the nutritive values that are serving my body? We didn't talk about that at all. I I couldn't even tell you what what protein I was eating that day. I couldn't have told you because there was zero education around that. And so breaking through that and saying, instead of saying, hey, this is healthy food and unhealthy food, let's just talk about on a nutrient level. Is it dense? (laughs) Does it have fat or carbs or protein or a mix of all three or two of the three? Is it rich in vitamins? Is it rich in minerals? Um, Does it serve our body well? There can be a nutrient dense cheeseburger and there can be a nutrient lacking cheeseburger okay it's not like cheeseburger is in a category and I knew I didn't want my daughters to grow up in a culture thinking that that was the case thinking that the healthiest thing they could eat was a bowl full of lettuce I I, I, that to me having that and, and to be very honest and be very clear um those are the type of messages in our current diet culture that are being pushed to the forefront and often by the USDA themselves who is setting up the dietary guidelines. We talk about all of that on a previous episode where we cover the USDA, but that is something I sort of feel like I'm having to combat with them. I'm having to push back on these limiting ideas of what healthy food is and unhealthy food is because if you don't... um, to me, I felt like I could only eat vegetables to be thin. And then, of course, because I was only eating vegetables, I was starving. And then that led to a binge eating. And then that led to ultimate guilt. And, oh, my gosh, I just ate all of this stuff. And, I, uh, and then it led to purging. And it kick-started this cycle, right? It kick-started this dysregulated eating pattern that could have been, to some degree, maybe sidestepped or maybe not as accelerated as quickly if I would have just been told like it's okay to eat the satiating food it's okay to um, nourish your body because food is not the ultimate and of course there's a million things that go into having an eating disorder it's not just about the food it can be about other things too but the good food bad food healthy unhealthy dichotomy needs to be shattered and if we're not actively shattering that for our kids unfortunately especially in the U.S. They're going to face that. They're going to they're gonna get that in their schools. Mm. They're going to get that in conversations. With, I mean, I hear other adults. Oh, I shouldn't eat this. I, I, it's a cheat day today. It's like, no, there's no cheat day. What do you mean you shouldn't eat it? Is it good for you? Is it going to harm you? Is it poisonous? You know? As we kind of transition to the, our approach to the diet culture, body image, you know, kind of diet personas, elitists, you know, all this food freedom attention right um first one to say it is so true when you establish standards rooted in education it provides freedom in the food that you're consuming now being very clear right um, we're, we're never in a situation where we're going to scold our children for going over to their grandparents or uh, their friend's house or whatever, and eating some Doritos. Uh, we may not buy those Doritos, but we can make or buy something equivalent that we feel like is nutrient dense. 
Um, and we will feel good about that. Mm-hmm. We will feel good about having a snack that we feel like is, you know, treating our bodies the way that, 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 uh, we want them to be or the environment the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with that, our first kind of recommended approach really is intentionally investing into food education for your kids. Yeah. And so I don't know why it's not a major core subject. It, it's fascinating when you think about it, especially with how much trauma, how much, um, uh, research goes into all these kids that deal with depression and anxiety and um, body image issues. I mean, it's it, all the way down to it. My fear is, is that if they did create a core class about this, that it would be, you <laughs> it know, would be trash. We, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trash. Anyways. Um, but food education is the first step to that food freedom that we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And I like what you just said, though, because that's so true. You cannot have the food freedom until you have the food education, because I'm going to tell you right now, when I was in three months of inpatient treatment facility as a 17 year old child by myself, my parents weren't there. I was like, yeah, obviously it's inpatient, whatever. Um, Not once was I educated on what in the world the food does t- into my body. I, if I was, I'm sorry, Ramuda, but I don't remember that. That didn't stick with me. You did a bad job of conveying that message to me. Um, and I could have never achieved true food freedom. I came home still with my same kind of slants. Like, oh, yeah, I can eat a cheeseburger like once a week because that feels normal. And like, that's what we did in treatment. I didn't gain weight, so it should be fine. Right? Like, I mm. didn't drop that. Until I started actually educating myself around what the heck food was. Now I can eat a bowl full of whipped cream and be like, wow, I'm doing my body such a service. Whereas Mm. before I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. Mm. But I didn't understand what that whipped cream was made. I mean, I'm making it from raw whipped cream and maple syrup. Mm. But um, you can't have the freedom without the education. And I think that's the first piece that I even want to start before we get into the education. Because... I think parents are sometimes scared to have those conversations because they're scared they're going to mess it up. Or maybe they have they start the conversations at the age where their kid is an elitist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the or the age where their kids are Ruthie. And <laughs> Ruthie. they're just like, oh my gosh, they're obsessed every time they get candy. They're obsessed with it. They don't have a way. And it, I want to... I want to say we have the benefit of having an 11-year-old. It's not like we have a 16-year-old. I get that. But I also am kind of marrying some of my experiences as a teenager too. Um, Your kids will go through different points of their food journey and their food understanding that might scare you. And it might make you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm approaching this educational topic the wrong way. And it's backfiring. And with Ruthie, it might look like it's backfiring at sometimes, but then other times, and she's like, mom, I really need some protein. Like, is this turkey a good option? And I'm like, yes, it is. Mm. It's not backfiring anymore, mm. right? So I think even before we get into the education piece, what we're actually teaching our kids, we have to make the case that food education absolutely belongs in your parenting because totally. because they are facing all these ex- external pressures to adopt a you know, sort of dietary persona. Yeah. And where our food education began for all of you out there that are wondering, how do I get started? For us, the way it got started and, and, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't have 
you know, a leadership consultant come in and, and coach us through this or parenting consultants come through and coach us. We just decided that we wanted to establish some guiding principles or a vision or a purpose mm-hmm. for our family in regards to food. And that is something that kind of can stay and remain true even in the face of varying you know, adversity. Like, you know, it could be um, Sophia's current um, demeanor when she encounters someone that maybe isn't eating or sourcing food like we are. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that person's life or their circumstance. And that is why we believe that mentality um, is not where we want her to end up. Yeah. And it's not something that we are like bashing her for. It's something that, that we believe that she's going through. And so that, that North Star, those guiding principles, that purpose of food is going to help guide us no matter what stage we're in. Sometimes we can be in stages of demotivation. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. Um, I got off of work today, worked 12 and a half hours, woke up at 4.30, came home. Our glass... Wait, today you woke up at 4.30? I did. Really? Yeah, you were asleep. I got up at 6. I thought you had like just woken up before me. No, I read it everything before. Wow, that's why you're so tired. Anyways. Yeah, our glass shattered on our dish. I get home and (laughs) the oven's full of glass. And Elizabeth looks at me and says, you can either watch Ray or cook the fish. And I go, guess I'm cooking the fish. So I walk inside. I thought that was the easier of the two options. And um, I told myself, hey, you know what? I could say, let's just order food. But then, and um, it's not because I think I'm better than anybody else. It's because, hey, the purpose of this and uh, the purpose of food for us has to be nourishment. It has to be food freedom. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's not just nourishment, right, is because we have fun with food too. Mm-hmm. And food freedom allows you to have fun and be nourished. Yeah. And, you know, I believe that you know Jesus turned water into wine for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not getting into the alcohol discussion right now. <laughs> we'll get to we'll have another episode on alcohol. But I believe that the prodigal son was, you know, the, the, we we slaughtered the fattened calf mm-hmm. because we wanted to celebrate. I bet you that fattened calf tasted fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There's a celebratory. There's a communal aspect of food. It, it's it's many things. It's you, multifaceted. And we don't want food to become this thing for our kids that is so militantly nutritional only, right? Yeah. Like we want it to be fun, and so um, we started there, and so that helps us when we're making small decisions. Like when I'm really tired and our oven's full of glass or when, um, you know, or when we go over to um, my in-laws, your parents' house and all Ruthie does is ask her Mimi for treats Mm -hmm. the entire time. We were there for 20 minutes today to water the garden and she asked for a snack. I said, you just had sourdough chocolate chip it's just opportunity before we left and she feels like she's got to kind of like get out there and try things that were preventing her from eating yeah and that's okay because at the end of the day the purpose of what we're doing here is to create food freedom through standards through education and 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 let's get into that education 
I did tell her she couldn't have a snack today, but oftentimes I do let her have a snack. Um, the education piece. Uh, this is like, well, first of all, we had to first educate ourselves because we weren't given any sort of roadmap That's true. for this. That's true. And a I'm lot educating of, myself right now. Yeah. And, and, um, obviously that's also a, a lifelong journey too. I don't think we should ever assume we have it all figured out, but, uh, I think it's really important to teach kids like the high level of nutrition, just to say like, Hey, the, like you said earlier, the purpose of food is nourishment, right? This food does something to our bodies. It provides us the fuel. And, um, if you want to go and get after it and do the things you're supposed to do and, and have a, really robust life you have to come from a state of health and you have to fuel of, your body yeah. with what it's asking for what it needs yes and uh i didn't fuel my body for a long time and um couldn't couldn't do the things i needed to do so uh th- that's a piece of it um you know that starts out basics with you know are there you know what are the vitamins what are the minerals we don't need to get into like what each vitamin does or what each mineral does but knowing the main sources of things is helpful or even breaking down and saying hey this food group has a lot of this in it or this food group has a lot of whatever um giving them basic language to start to understand some of the scientific mechanics that happen with our food and digestion is helpful because it paints the broader picture it's not like a swallow of bread is the same as steak is the same as potatoes the same as an egg it's all different and then the other piece of that, besides just like the technical, okay, what's in my food, is like, where did your food come from? Totally. Like, if you look at a bag of Fritos, it's really hard to say where that came from unless you look up the address of the processing plant. And But then like, but then where did the ingredients come from? I don't know. That's harder to find. Then where did the egg come from? It came from a chicken. Yeah. Do you know where that chicken is? Uh, we could go call the farm. Yeah. Where's your milk come from? What is your meat? Oh, Ruthie asked me the other day, what is beef? I said, it's a cow, sweetie. You know that. She's like, oh, yeah, duh. It's like she she was like, she, even she's still connecting. Like, what animal is what? Um, and really, it's that moment where you could stop and go, wow, psh, Ruthie's really <laughs> missing the boat on this one. But in reality, she's, she's like driving the boat because the fact that she's asking. Right. Hey, what, what is this? Like, that's everything for us. Yeah. And that's part of food freedom. That's part of the purpose. That's, that is a sign that the process is working and, and we'll just continue to trust the process, um, as things go along. So we're talking about food education and that, that, uh, there's, there's some approaches to kind of promoting that. And the first one that we kind of talked about is, um, establishing this purpose. And for us, and I think if you want to tweak your own, you can you can copy ours. You can do whatever you want to do. But for us, it's this idea of nutrition and food freedom, mm-hmm. and uh, or nourishment and food freedom. Sorry. Um, some other tactical approaches to this food education um, is understanding macronutrients. Um, Those are your fat, protein, carb. Where food comes from. And um, a final one that I, that I threw in here is homeschooling. Now, it could be all in homeschooling where you homeschool and all of this stuff can be integrated into the, all the stuff that you teach. I mean, you, it, it, when you're talking about science, you can, you're talking about history, I mean, it's, food can be kind of laced into everything that you do. Mm-hmm. You can have one of these full on approaches. I know that you take the kids on trips to go to the farm and see animals 
you're going down to um, um, polyface. Poly, yeah, all, all these places that you've you've uh, taken the kids to help them, and that's homeschooling right there. Mm-hmm. That's homeschooling. Um, I take I take the kids to my office and work with me. Mm-hmm. You want you want to talk about education? They're watching their dad, who's an entrepreneur, business owner, get some, mm-hmm. right? And I, I can tell you right now, I'll trade three weeks of sitting in a classroom for half a day with me in my office, mm-hmm. any day of the week. The kind of stuff that they're learning, being in the meetings with me, seeing how I, I, I react to problems and challenges and, and interpersonal conflicts or interpersonal communication or um, how I'm able just to buckle down and be like, hey, I know that I have to do this work even if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention I get to bring them into work for it and then they get rewarded. I pay them. It's just it's such a valuable thing. Um, so that's that's the all-in homeschool. There's also homeschool. It doesn't. You can always homeschool. Like I don't know why this I, this term of homeschool is. You mean like if you send your kids to public or private school? They can be anywhere, and when they're home, pick up curriculum when they're home. Yeah, and learn about food. That's, Summertime is a great option too. You can learn with them. Yep. Food is 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 something. Unfortunately, especially with the principles that we're teaching, um, it's not. It's not. It's not happening. They're going to learn. Um, they're going to learn from you. And, um, I think parents are not only extremely well equipped to be teachers for the kids, but like it or not, you're their teacher. Yeah. You just are. Mm-hmm. No matter what you're doing in life, they're learning from you right now. Yeah. You wake up in the morning and you're having a coffee in the morning right away. They just learned that, oh, coffee's consumed in the morning. I know it's ridiculous. Not but mom. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Anyways. I have coffee in the morning, but I eat first. Um, let's get into the next approach. And we labeled this modeling a healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. You want me to dive into what that means? Dive into Because I'm with the kids home most of the time. And this is something where... Um, you know, they even sort of like used this as like a you better watch out moment in treatment because they were like, well, what if you have kids someday? And what if your kids are daughters? And what if you have an unhealthy relationship with food and then you pass it on to them? Talk about terrifying a 17-year-old girl. Holy smokes. <laughs> so Jeez, many, there's so many aspects of my healing journey that I'm very thankful for, but there's much to be improved upon in the eating disorder healing um, industry, something I wish I could help facilitate sometime in my life. Um, anyways, this is something I think about often because we've all been around the, the friend, the mother, the sister, the aunt, whoever, and I'm, I'm generalizing here. It's mostly women, but guys can do this too. Um, who maybe is outwardly expressive of their internal insecurities around food. And they'll say things like, Oh, I really shouldn't eat this, but or, oh, I only, I only had a salad for lunch so that I could have a dessert at dinner. Or have been saving up for this meal all day. Or any any variety of sort of um, keeping tabs, apologizing for the food they're eating, somehow making it seem okay, justifying their food choices for something beyond just, hey, this is good and healthy for me. and um, And then aside from that, it's like, 
while I eat in front of my kids, eat a lot in front of my kids. I joyfully eat in front of my kids. I try not to say negative things about the food I'm eating. Um, And I try not to say negative things about the food they're eating too. And honestly, that's the hardest one for me. It's hard when I feel like there are people in my circle that um, could could be participating differently with food around them than than I would expect um and then they are and that's something that I just have to grow in a little bit but I think modeling good food means that us as mothers can um break those generational whatever you call it of this mentality that like women don't need as much food or women should Mm. eat this or women don't eat meat or da 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 Whatever it is that we're carrying, whatever cultural burden we're carrying, making sure that we have first done the work ourselves to heal that or we're at least actively participating in that healing. And then also talking to them about our food and and having it be a candid conversation because they will ask. And if they don't ask, they're at least thinking it in their head. Like, what does mom think about this? Or... And, and it's not just food. It's also our general ideas about our body or yeah. our general, like my kids will never hear me say, oh, I look fat today. They just won't hear me say that. I, 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 I won't say never because it might slip out, but I, I, I would <laughs> hope I, I don't practice saying those things out loud to myself in general, totally. but it, I would hope that I would not um, model that for them because I don't want them to think that about them. And I have an 11-year-old who I've been having to have these conversations with for at least the last five years. This stuff starts when your kids are six years old. It really does. And I even think this too about Ruthie because people comment on how thin she is all the time. And I'm like, we have to have have those conversations now too. Um, But modeling just basically means both in action and in attitude and in spirit. And... um, it also means like, hey, I don't believe my body is broken. I believe my body heals and I believe it wants to heal. And so I'm not always approaching food as this way of like, oh, I have to avoid everything that might set the bomb off, right? I don't I don't want to paint that either. So it's, it's kind of an overall philosophical, what do I believe about myself, my human body, my capacity to heal and my capacity for nourishment and how can I, and that's super loaded. That's like every adult woman's um, one thing we wrestle with. But you're going to have to continue to wrestle with it, especially in front of your daughters. The, the, modeling, the modeling healthy relationship with food for me, the way that I see that happening and playing out with our kids and the way I, I think it plays out in all families. And, and when, when I look back on my life growing up, there are so many meals that if I if I even take a bite of it, it's just instant nostalgia. And I will like that food purely because it's what I grew up on. And and if if you are, you know, in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and you really dislike a certain kind of food, there's a good chance that you didn't at one there's a good chance at one point you didn't love that food and all of a sudden now you hate it. <laughs> there's a good chance that you grew up eating that food. And for me, um, not being the person that is day in, day out, 
um, modeling the way that I eat in front of my kids. I believe that there is something really powerful to when we make dinner at night, mm-hmm. right? I mean, dinner's not the only meal of the day, but it's it's the only one of the day that I'm almost always here for, me personally. And so I feel like there's just, there's always just, in, in most households, there's more emphasis on dinner. Yeah. Um, dinner's typically your biggest meal. It's typically the, the meal you spend the most money on. It's typically the meal that's the most stressful. Yep. It's dinner, right? And I want our kids, I want to put in the effort now. I want to work hard so that my kids are adults someday. And they, 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 they will be sitting around the table at Christmas time joking and laughing about how crazy we were. And I'll be secretly kind of laughing to myself like that was all on purpose. <laughs> Dad wasn't just crazy. Dad was really intentional. Yeah. Um, our mom, you know, really led the way in a powerful, you know, in a powerful way. I remember and, how much mom used to talk about raw dairy, how annoying that was. Uh, or, I can you hear know, him already. Um, man, remember her sourdough? Yeah. Remember how <laughs> special it was back when we were little to eat beef? Or like. Because <laughs> we always eat venison. Yeah. yeah. Or chicken. Ah. Uh, I just that that's going to be something that that they will remember. The garden, yeah. There's so we much always there. we always grew up raising a garden, and you know, I want our kids to be adults, and and to feel some of that natural n- nostalgia, like draw. Yeah. I, you know why I love having a garden? Why? I had a garden growing up. Yeah, I didn't. So I think, and even last year, you were like, "Let's do a garden," and I was like, "I really don't want to do a garden," and you're like, "No, you should do a garden," and I was like, "I don't really want to do a garden." And even though we had like grown stuff in our side yard at our house before, we had never done like a full 10 by 10 garden. And last year you, I was like, fine. I remember I was dragging my feet so much. And this year I got more into it because I was like, oh, this can be fun. And I'm trying to learn here. And I feel like I always need to like level up my game a little bit. I don't grow things at home as often as other people do. And it's because I didn't grow up gardening. My mm. dad, I remember he had a couple tomato plants in the side of our backyard at the White House. And all he ever said was, yeah, tomatoes can be tricky. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, we we, um, we had a garden growing up. But we, I mean, we, we even took it to an, the next level. And we were growing so much produce that we started a produce market. And we would sell produce on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And, and I would run the cash box. And I was like. You know, 10 years old. Yeah, I shared a photo of you actually on a... Did you really? It wasn't on my community. It was when I was doing an Instagram takeover. I'll have to find that post and reshare it after we launch this podcast. But anyways, modeling the way, it's huge. Mm-hmm. And what the, the way you invest your time into your kids today will, you know, come back up, right, later. And um, the kind of things I want to be coming back up are um, everything from watching Swiss Family Robinson to um, the the, the normalcy of hunting and processing your own food and your own meat to having a garden to uh, finding a farm Mm -hmm. where you get your produce and your milk from. Like I want it to be weird for our kids when you know they move out on their own they're like okay so what, how am i going to get my dairy products mm-hmm. and we have to like you know they have to come they have to come to our house to get their dairy stuff because like that's just what we do yeah and they'll get married someday and the poor guys <laughs> that are going to be like what do you mean we get our dairy from a 
farm. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just buy it off the shelf of Kroger? We have a vetting process, actually. <laughs> if you're thinking about sending any gentlemen our way in the future to date our daughters. <laughs> they must pass a 42-question quiz. Along with a three-hour interview yeah. with yours truly. Anyways. So, um, modeling a healthy relationship. And, and, and you know, it, it goes deeper than just food. But, man, today we're talking about food, and that's what, and that, and that's what that is. Now, the, the next thing I wanted to jump into is speaking in macro terms. Mm-hmm. It almost this is almost going to be similar to the idea of don't use baby talk, right? You're trying to promote a specific narrative, right? You're trying to you're trying to promote a not narrative a behavior. Yeah. You want your kids to start articulating thoughts out loud in a way that an adult would. Thus, you speak like an adult. And we speak in macronutrient terms All in this day, house every day. And so funny. I never use that word. I never say, no, 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 Ruth. What's the macronutrient term? Actually, before this podcast, you were like, what do you call protein? I didn't fat? even know. <laughs> it's, like, it's a macronutrient. Um, They're the nutrients you need the most of. But what, what, um, and, and, and let's, let's get down to, let's just even just put this out there because the reason we do this is not because we want our kids to be fancy. No. Uh, that has nothing to do with it. But because we're trying to promote and reinforce a balanced, macro diet mm-hmm. right and if our if if um let's use ruthie as an example Ugh, she's a most challenging child eating wise yeah. she wakes up she just craves carbs she that's does. what she wants yeah and um i try so hard to start her day off with fats and proteins and she just will not um it's a battle and if you're out there as a parent and and you haven't battled your kid to eat I, Everyone has battled their kid to eat. I, I'm surprised. However, you know, Ray, I don't battle Ray much. That's true. And when we say battle, because this is something too that we have shifted off of. I think it's less, the old mentality was like, you don't get up from your table until you eat everything. I don't feel like that is the most effective way. I actually feel like that can be quite damaging to some of our, you know, development as a child around food. Instead, this macro talk opens up a beautiful way to say, hey, Ruthie, if you don't want the fish we're eating tonight, which I'm surprised she ate that fish. She ate it. But say, for example, she doesn't want a fish that we're cooking. Hey, Ruth, if you don't want the fish we're eating tonight, is there another protein you will eat? And that's ex- that's a perfect example. And um, I mean, we could almost just cut it there, but to give a couple, <laughs> to give a couple other examples of what this tactic that we've been using in our home look like, it's, um, hey, Ruth, you know, We've had a lot of X, right? We've had a lot of um, carbs. We've had a lot of fruit. We've had a lot of, you know, you had some bread. Yet, uh, I want to make sure you get some healthy fats and proteins in. Mm-hmm. I- I'm using that as an example because that's typically where Ruthie is falling. Whereas, honestly, with Sophie, it's the diff- it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. And and Sophie, it's it's hey, Sophie, maybe um, we 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 introduce some carbs into your meal a little bit here. Yeah, you, know, you had some good you had some good protein. You know, you had some stuff this morning. She loves her sausage. She loves. Um, you know, bacon. Yeah, and she'll eat like a salad for lunch and I'll tell her like, or with an egg or something, I'll say, uh, you have freedom to eat some carbs. Like, yeah. it's, you need that. You need yeah. that as much as everything. Not, not even just freedom, but like also, your you body truly does need that. <laughs> yes. And so like, it's not, it's not like a, a... Um, oh, you ate this. Now you deserve this. It's not that at all. It's, it's not a reward balance. system. Yeah. Of It's, it's a, you need this too. Now, yeah. I will do reward system plays 
And what I mean by that is if you've achieved a balanced day, Mm -hmm. then you can also reward yourself with something that is, you know, like whipped cream and berries because it's, you know, sugary and, you know, Ruthie loves it. Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, I am, I'm totally on board with that. I'm sure there's some, there's some uh, reward situation going on there that, that um, um, maybe isn't the best. I'm telling you right now that if I'm promoting this balanced macronutrient diet every single day, um, then then I feel like we're winning. So, so before we jump on to the next thing, I just recently had a fascinating conversation with one of my friends, um, Alyssa, who who also does kind of work in this space, except for she teaches women um, how to start their little ones off on food kind of like the wise traditions um uh weston a price way of like a holistic baby led weaning and we were chatting back and forth about because there are some pretty very popular accounts on social media specifically you know the one i have in my head has like two million followers and there's a tendency in some of these more popular food spaces teaching parents how to address food with their kids is like you just need to give them access to all the foods all the time. That way they don't develop what we're talking about, which is like, hey, my parents never let me eat that, so I'm now going to go binge on that. So they, they're so um, far the other spectrum where it's like, hey, you can have some candy with your dinner. Don't ever have candy be the reward for your dinner because those don't need to have different values attributed to them. Whereas I would say... Uh, They absolutely do because in the sense of let's talk about what's nourishing to you, what your body needs right now. Exactly. And so as we were having this conversation, me and Alyssa were talking back and forth and she was sort of asking about like what I learned in treatment and how a lot of that was left out. And I, um, I mean, we were like awarded a cup of tea if we finished our lunch in 15 minutes instead of taking the full 30. We could have some honey in it. Like it was weird. It was wild. Um, and so a lot of that conversation though, misses the mark because it's instead of saying, Hey, I'm worried my kids are going to binge on Oreos because I never let them have Oreos or I treat it as a treat or a reward or whatever. Let's just stop and talk about, um, uh, let's go back to the nutrient dense nutrient lacking example, right? Let's go back to what real food is. Let's go back to the food groups. We didn't even talk about that. I think one of the most powerful things in food education is just knowing what is an animal product? Yeah. What is a plant? What is an animal fat? What's a plant fat? What's a grain? It's like, that's mind blowing to people. Mm. And so like what you just said about, Hey, um, having certain hierarchies or orders in which our kids eat something or even just looking at the whole day together and saying, hey, let's have a balanced day today is can sometimes is very often actually um, pushed back against in this sort of like teaching parents how to feed their kids world. It's weird. It's like the laissez-faire approach to um, trying to prevent some some form of um, disorder or and it's this idea that if they never feel restriction they'll never right. you know they'll try. never want to restrict um and, and i would i would argue that if you normalize something as routine it will stay routine 
Yes. And here's the other point too. I I made a post on this. There's a difference between having self-discipline around the foods that we eat. Once you get to a certain age, obviously we don't ask Ray to have any sort of self-discipline around her food choices. She has very limited food choices, the things we give her to eat. Um, There's a difference between having self-discipline and um, self-restriction. Self-discipline says, I know what my body needs. Uh, This can be applied to all areas of life. There's no area of life where it's just like, you do you. You follow wherever you want to go. I mean, people can live that way, but they often make a mess of their lives doing that. And that was something that really bothered me in treatment was like, it was such an emphasis to combat these like, quote, fear foods that it was almost like the opposite of having an eating disorder was just like your ability to eat everything all the time. And I was like, well, that's also not healthy because the real beauty happens when I can sit in the tension of knowing what my body needs and knowing that there are a million food choices out there and deciphering which one is best for me. You know, like yeah, it's, it's less about like you can have it all all the time. And more about training us to know, hey, what's appropriate right now? And what might be appropriate later? Right on. Going into our, our last point, um, last approach, it's, it's, uh, and this is a quick one. And this is something that, that I, I, I defined it as, it's not necessarily specific to food at all. And all of these really don't have to be. Uh, they could all be, this, these approach to food could, could all could be applied into many different areas in parenting, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, but this one's, I call it the open forum. And within this open forum, this is, this is a, a catchy way of saying our kids are constantly coming to us and asking questions. Ruthie about the, you know, the beef, um, Sophie about, you know, her friend down the street or up you know, the road or grandpa's or whoever fed them this. And intentionally looking for those coachable moments with food. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like a duh, right? Hey, coach your kids correctly. Woohoo! Smart. Well, you know what? I, that didn't. This didn't happen to me. I had amazing parents. Mm-hmm. I had amazing parents. They were just killers. So good at. I, I'm so thankful. I am 100% who I am today. All the good parts. <laughs> because of my parents and they, they, they were very intentional invested in me a lot. And you know what? They were not trying to have intentional co- coachable moments with me about food in any way, shape or form. Um, now I think it's because it wasn't on their list of priorities, which is why I'm saying it now, put it on your list of priorities if you don't already have it there. And these coachable moments can look like anything from, Hey Ruthie, what animal is this from? <laughs> to, um, hey, do you know why we ask you to eat protein? Oh, well, no, I, I just, I don't know. What, Ruthie, if, if you want to keep growing up, get, being strong, it's going to help promote muscle growth. You're going to be able to run and play longer. You're going to have energy to have fun today. This protein is going to help you with that, sweetie. Mm-hmm. You should eat that. All the way up to Sophie, which is, you know, hey, Sophie, you might not know where that, you know, what their life situation looks like to, um, hey, you know what, Sophie? You can't get hyper-fixed on the fact that you had a hot dog at the Reds game with your grandpa. Oh, she's so excited. And that's the thing. She's going to a game. 
with her grandpa. She's she's going to eat a hot dog. Am I stressed about that at all? Zero percent. She actually came up to me today and said, I am so excited about the Reds game. I'm not excited that I have to eat a hot dog, though. <laughs> she doesn't have to eat that. I, I know, but I'm just... And I said, Sophie, it's okay to eat a hot dog at the Reds game. It's okay. That's just, interesting. I wonder why she said that. I wonder if it's because we had hot dogs earlier this week. Or if it's because brats. of the fact that it's a Reds game hot dog. Or she thinks that it tastes worse. Or I, I would be interested to ask her. Yeah, to ask follow her about up that. I was, I was actually assuming it was because she felt like... She felt bad about it? She had no, guilt around it? I don't it? know if it was guilt more so than it was like, I'm too good for this. Yeah, either way, it's it's she's the prime example of that elitist sort of time yeah. period. And so this is another thing... Um, another way that we, you can sort of combat that, like if that's the stage that your kid is in, always bring it back to the externalities, right? Always in the same way that your diet can either be all focused about you. I'm the best. I, I avoid this. I'm the healthiest versus saying, oh, I'm so thankful for that animal or I'm so thankful for that gardener. Or, I'm so thankful for this flower or I love this process. You know, it can either be external or internal. Um, with your kids when they're like, oh, this person eats this, or I ate this when I was out and this, you know, how do I feel about that? First of all, they're 95% of the time, if not more, they're coming to you to confirm or sort of feel out what they should, how they should feel about it. It's not like she's convinced that if a kid eats mac and cheese, they're going to die. She obviously doesn't believe that, but she's trying to like, I don't know if it's test me or like see how I react if it's like a shock factor like oh my goodness you know and so to to work your way gracefully through that conversation would look something like okay well first of all food food choices look different for everyone everyone's in a different situation everyone has different access to knowledge everyone has different allergies or different um preferences and um their food changes their food choices might change in the future they might not change there might be other things going on you might have caught them just on a bad day you might not have the full picture of what they're eating or um but like and you can even say (laughs) you know is their food choice the most important thing about this person Mm -hmm. is this the most important quality absolutely not she would never say that um I often respond, hey, like we've enjoyed mac and cheese here from time to time. We have. Both out of a box and homemade. Shocker. It's 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 been had. Shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. I don't know why that would be a shocker. But um, tying it back, reminding her of times where she's had those same foods, reminding her of times where, you know... I grew up on some of that stuff. That's the food I ate when I was younger. And what we don't want to do is say, oh my gosh, Sophie, it's fine. Like if they want to eat that, you know, it's, it's never have any sort of value around food. Don't, you know, it, everything is going to be confusing. Everything It'd is almost be like so-and-so smokes cigarettes and you're like, well, you don't know where they're exactly. from. It's okay if they smoke. It's exactly. like, well, no, no. There's a tension there we're holding. <laughs> we're holding this tension of, okay, first of all, you're taking a snapshot of this one person's day. You're placing higher value on it than needs to be placed, but you're also basically asking me the question, is it okay to eat X food? Sometimes that answer is yes. Sometimes that answer is, hey, we choose to not eat that, or hey, we choose to eat this version of that instead, or hey, this is the understanding that I've come to have around this particular food. Obviously, this would look different if I was talking to a six-year-old, but with Sophia, I can use these sort of terms, and so like 
the whole point of the open forum is to say, like, there's no like one talk, you sit your kids down, you're like, all right, kids, let's get it over with. Let's talk about food, right? It's not that. There should be no topic that is approached that way, frankly. So the open forum is to allow for your kids to move through those awkward phases or those hiccup phases of this like food reality so that you can continue that so that when they are 18 or they're 16 or they're 14 and they're starting to have questions or develop moral inklings or, you know, whatever that, however they might choose to eat in the future, we can always have an open conversation about it. Totally. Um, I love that. I think just to kind of reiterate, we're talking about food education. We're talking about model a healthy relationship with food. We're talking about speaking in macro terms. We're talking about the open forum. And a lot of these things, you know, can become very passive in a good way, wherein they're just kind of all happening all the time. And um, I think it's a great, great time to wrap up this podcast and a great transition into if you are looking for some awesome resources to kind of up your game mm-hmm. in the food education, um, food, education, food, food education realm. We made that stuff for this exact reason. Um, we're, we're not only just trying to sell things that we think we want to sell, but we actually made these for ourselves. Yeah. We made them because we want to use them and we do use them. And, um, and we want you to be able to use them too. So jump on to homegrowneducation.org and grab some, grab some children's nu- uh, nutrition curriculum yep. for your kids and um, get them started on that. Get yourself started by you know, grabbing similar resources uh, for adults on there. And um, you know, everything from modeling a healthy way. We go over this kind of stuff here at our house. And this is how these kinds of projects start. The project of what's for dinner started with us identifying that having dinner together is important. Mm-hmm. Having dinner that that establishes rhythms and models a healthy relationship with food with our kids is an important thing. And it's attention and it's every attention. day. Yep. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Every I always say every resource comes out of a need of for our own family. And it's so true. And so... I wrote the first curriculum for Sophia when she was in the second grade. And that's why that thing's geared for third through sixth graders because I was like, I need this for her now. And then last year I released the early elementary, which you would have thought would come first. But no, because I needed something for my oldest daughter. And now I've created something for my middle daughter. And um, and then I created What's for Dinner with your help um, in the midst of that too. And so all of those resources are just things that have helped us, um, they're just one tool in your toolbox. Because like we said today, kids are already learning. They're already soaking it up. But sometimes they it helps parents to have A, an outsider's sort of voice. And you can look at those curriculums because there's tons of references in the back um, as sort of that like, what do they call that? Like third party there's a, there's a psychological term for that, um, confirmation of something. Anyways, they can help provide context there. They can help, um, enrich your, your reinforcement. Yeah. Something like that. Um, they're just helpful tools because your kids are already learning. They're already picking up stuff and you want to make sure that you're first to market on this. I tell people, I tell people this a lot at my office. And um, it's, a, it's a term I use in business. I think it applies to family. Our family gets kind of run like a business in the most appropriate way possible. But 
if you want to get after something, you want to start something new, you want to make a change, you want to improve something. Too often I see people get super hyped up and motivated and excited. And they and then they, they talk about it. And then they think about it some more. And they talk about talking about it. And then they talk about how they talked about it. <laughs> and then they come back on Wednesday and listen to the next Homegrown Podcast and they get kind of hyped again. Mm-hmm. You have to get skin in the game. You have to get skin in the game in some capacity. Um, either either start cleaning out your pantry and buying better ingredients or... Investigate um, a herd share. Find, find a herd share that you can get become a part of. Watch plan, a documentary. Plan a trip to a farm. Book it. Yep. Book the trip to the farm. Um, and go out there and learn from the farmer and see the... See, like that kind of action is getting skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And... It, it takes a stand that, hey, you know, this was at one point a good idea and it takes it across that line to, no, no, now we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. Um, an example of this, and this is this is why we create the resources. We want to help you get skin in the game. So if you like us, you like the podcast, just, just keep listening to the podcast. Um, you can It's free. It's, it, we're going to try to keep it free forever. And um, if you want to support us, you can go on and buy those books buy those resources, um, let us also support you in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to hear more from us, because we haven't talked to you enough already, you can find you can find Elizabeth at homegrown underscore education on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Joey Hazelmeyer. The one and only. The one and only. Right on. Until next time. Until next time.